Just I want to continue a little bit from last Sunday because I sort of gave us about four passages, said I'd come back to the parable of the wedding feast, touched on it. I sort of did, but I want to unpack it line by line um, so we get a full comprehension, a full understanding of what we're looking at and know who God's talking to because I think that's important as well. And also have a look at a couple of other scriptures around that because once again it's not just about looking at one passage, we have to take an overarching view of the entirety of what God is saying so we understand the big picture. But also understanding that what we're looking at is parables. Who can tell me what a parable is? A story with a main point. Thank you, Liz. So it's not that you go through and go, this is all the word of God. It's it's a picture. It's an illustration. It's a story of a point that we need to know. And we've discussed three parables. What was the parable, the meaning of the virgins? What was the main point of the virgins? Ready. Talents. Faithful. And then this particular one, this say that people were worthy. Okay, so I want to look at that. So I'm going to read the parable out first, and then um, we'll get into it. Who's enjoying this big picture prophetic declaration? Because that's what it is. It's a prophetic utterance of God's purpose for us as his people. All right, Jesus spoke to them. This is Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. It's interesting, isn't it? Is that you get this invitation, but you're unwilling to attend. Again, he sent out other slaves. Tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Interesting how you can see these key words even around the feast. Prepared, ready. So these are like little clues that God throws out to remind us of the purpose of what it's all about. And you can miss all that and just think he's talking about a dinner. Oh yeah. Like why wouldn't you turn up? So if you get invited to something and you don't turn up, what's one of the reasons why you may not turn up? You may not have anything to wear. That would be a good case. You don't want to go naked to the party, do you? Although some people are into those parties. but (laughs) You don't respect the one who's given the feast. You may not be hungry. You could be too busy. You could be sick. You don't even know there's an invitation. Other commitments. You don't want to go. Good. And you may not value the invitation. You see, the cross isn't really about our sin. It's about our value. You make the cross all about sin, you'll never see the value behind it. The value is what the cross is about. He loves us so, 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 so much. He gave his greatest value. Now, when you start to see the value of the invitation and the person, all those things you've just said dissipate, don't they? You're like, I'm staring at the greatest 
prize, the Christ, the greatest value that was given for me. Keep that in mind as we go through this. But they paid no attention and went their way. Paid no attention, went their own way. One to his own farm, another to his business. There's those excuses. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we start sort of maybe from the beginning or just get your guys' thoughts on maybe some of the things that may have jumped out to you actually. We'll start there. You go, Ben. Um, so... Right at the beginning, and I, I love that you touched on that, Greg, because um, Danny had the same message in the, at the end of our, our praise. Um, not willing. Willing is such a big one. You know, Jesus says um, in the scriptures you're searching for, for eternal life, but the scriptures are the ones that testify of me, and you're not willing to come to me. And, you know, I kind of look at it at the heart of it, you know, what, what is he saying there? He's not going that these guys weren't invited. They were absolutely invited. It wasn't not being rich enough that disqualified them. It wasn't not being clever enough. It was nothing other than a choice that they all made. And we've all got a choice, right? We've all got the ability to choose. And so often what what is masked as circumstances is really just a choice. Are we willing to come? He doesn't ask us to come with anything. He took us as we were. Empty-handed, broken, hating him. <laughs> come, but you're not willing. And it's it's pretty exposing. Um, and I think, you know, I love that I love that we're going through parables. Um, I was reading in in Matthew thirteen and it says I'll read it out. It says, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So in these simple stories are some massive truths. And it's not something that applied to one people group. It's easy to read this and go, there was a people group that weren't willing, but he's not talking about one people group in one particular time slot. He's talking about something that's been hidden from the foundation of the world. Every person that ever there is has the ability to make a choice. Am I willing to come to him as he's invited me without prioritizing other things, without complicating it at the core? It's really simple. Will you come to what you're invited to? It's awesome because, you know, as you read that through, 
and I'm saying exactly what Chris has said. So hear this, okay? So first he addresses the Jews, and then it transitions to the Gentiles in this parable, okay? But all are invited because we know God has taken Jew and Gentile and making them one. So it's for those of the Spirit, isn't it? If we're of the Spirit, growing in the Spirit, ready in the Spirit, faithful in the Spirit, which manifests itself in a demonstration on earth, it's not something that's up in the sky somewhere, all wafty. It's a living, divine demonstration of a reality because we are people of the Spirit. We've come back to the Commonwealth of Israel. So Ephesians 2, we once were dead in our sin and iniquity, but God raised us up with the Son, who is the Prince of Israel, who came for Israel, firstly, then the Gentile, but is making a people who are one. And then we get invited back and grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, which is a people of promises, and the wedding covenant is a promise. So don't look at this and go, he's not talking to me. He's talking directly to you. He's talking to Jew and Gentile who he's calling to be one. Okay? And that's quite obvious when you look at the entirety of the gospel. Okay, So if you look at Luke 14, it's a beautiful picture of a two-sided coin. And we'll go there as well. But some of your thoughts. Yeah, I think um, what stuck out for me, um, one of the first things was that the man was speechless when, um, we'll go to it quickly, verse 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And um, that was quite a confronting thought of how this man must have felt. And like we're hearing, it's not, this isn't something that's outside of us. This is the context of our salvation. And, you know, in Romans, it says, um, Romans 3, 18, 18 to 19, that every mouth may be stopped. And it says that, you know, the day of judgment will come and no one will be able to say that they didn't hear this invite because the gospel is going to go out to every nation, tongue and tribe. And in Revelation, it talks about those who were redeemed, he's going to gather together again. But that sense of being speechless is kind of like, I was trying to think back in my life, When I know there's been times where I've been speechless, and it, it, it has definitely come from a sense of, I knew, I, I understood what was being said, but when the day came to it, I wasn't able to deliver or I wasn't ready. And yet when I was asked why, I had no words because I knew, you know. And so I think it's this real confronting reality that the message and the invite is going out day in and day out. And the Jews, you know, when when they were in unbelief, Jesus said, is it not written in your law? Is this not written? And, I mean, we've got it written in the word. We've got... uh Preachers speaking, you know, sending the message out. We have the Holy Spirit that can, you know, can, um, convicts the heart and is written on the conscience. So it, we really have no excuse, as you were saying. And um, it gives everyone, the gospel went out to, you know, the, the Father's heart is that the gospel will go out to all people so that all people, and I, I love that the verse says, you know, those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, 
thought that was interesting. You see, because the gospel, when the message goes out, it attracts all sorts of people and it gathers all sorts of people. But at the end of the day, that gospel, the gospel of Christ, the true gospel, gives every person from every society, every nation, doesn't matter where you're from, how you grew up, what culture you're a part of, every person has an equal opportunity to enter into what God is saying. Because the blood covers every human heart. I want to just at that point remind us that it's the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, so it's not the gospel of repentance from sin. The gospel of the kingdom. And this is what we have to understand. We have to know the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel that Jesus died for your sin. Okay, that's John's message. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is another message. Are we tracking? So it's not just enough to know Jesus' message. That gets you into understanding the message of the kingdom of heaven, which is now the future, the whole purpose of God. And that's what the parable is. But that's, in my own experience, what i found many people don't have any understanding of. We don't understand the message of the kingdom of heaven. Like reigning with Christ, what are you talking about? Reigning with Christ. You know, a city that's in the future that's like, what are you talking about? So this is the context to what you're looking at. It's the invitation that's the message of the kingdom of God then comes. Not just the message about Jesus dying for your sin. And this is what's so powerful because it says it's this kingdom message. And this guy wasn't worthy. Now I want to look at that because this will give you the evidence of this is about us. And not just about Jews, isn't it? Because we've looked at this in Matthew 10. I'm going to read you. And I'm hoping you're joining the dots. Because you know when the jots all, the jots. When the dots join and your eyes get open, you're awakened to the reality that's in front of you. Then you can do something about it, correct? So we're having this discussion at Eldership the other night and I said, the definition of deception is you don't know you're deceived. Okay? Fair cool. Which means you don't know what you don't know. So we need to know this stuff because if we don't know it, we're not living for it. So that's a form of blindness, isn't it? Now the thing is, you may not know this stuff, but once you know you don't know, you're awakened to the fact that you don't know this. Now you have the motivation to go do something about it, even though you don't know it. Can you hear the difference? So that's the point. The man has no understanding. He was invited to something. He should have had the right garments on, and now he's speechless. Now, God will make you speechless, give you an opportunity to be speechless so you can actually repent. Mm -hmm. And he can bring it to light, and you're like, surely God was in this place, and I did not know how awesome is this place. So Jacob was blinded to a reality that was right in front of him, correct? And look, I am, and you are. Because do you know all that's in God? No. So you're blinded to a reality, aren't you? So knowing that, I hope, would motivate you to seek, ask, and knock, and lay all things aside and be found in his presence, asking him to open up the reality that we don't know. That's what I'm doing. I'm hoping you're doing it so we can all be one and all enter into and all be found where we're supposed to be found, yeah? And not be like this guy. 
So it says here, do not think, Matthew 10, 34, this is the words of Christ, do not think, <laughs> do not apply your thinking to my words. You got no idea. So do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own. See, we're flesh and spirit in a same household. There's conflict. There's conflict in a marriage. There's conflict in a family between father and son. There's conflict where flesh and spirit reside. Because spirit wants to go that way. Flesh wants to go that way. Don't think I came to bring peace. I came to divide to find those of the spirit. That's what he's saying. I'm looking for my people of the spirit. I come to divide flesh and spirit. I come to build a people of spirit. Okay. He who loves his father, this is the context for this. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So now we're seeing the same word worthy, which means spiritually fit, prepared, ready. So if you love humanity more, you're not spiritually fit, ready, prepared for what? My purpose and my plans. You're not mature for what I had, even though you're a child who I loved. This is what he's saying, okay? So he lists the people, if you love them, you're not worthy. Then he says this, that's that's one. Two, and he who doesn't take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who hasn't has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So there's two things we need to pass. What tests are they, guys? I know, I know we know. What what are those two tests called? Preach these probably three or four, five times. Relational and missional. So there's two tests you and I need to pass, correct? Are you passing the test? Abraham was tested, was he not? What was he tested with? What was God testing? Where his heart was. Do you love the boy more than me? Well, I'm going to test. Lay him down. Lay your burdens down. What's worship? In view of God's mercy, lay your life down. So I'm going to test whether you love me. I'm going to poke the thing that you love, Abraham. The promise that you've been waiting for for 25 years, I'm going to test to see whether you love me or the gift. Children are gifts, aren't they? But in the wrong heart, they actually are an idol. Oh, nobody enters the kingdom of heaven if they've got idolatry in their heart. But it's from God. Yeah, but you didn't lay it down and let God define it. You defined it. So you're unworthy. Are you hearing this? I hope you're really hearing it. Not hearing it, hearing it. Because this will get you going, oh my goodness, if that is the case. It may not be. We may have no idols, no possessions. We may be fully worthy today. I really hope we are. I really do. Because we don't know when he's coming. You don't know how many days you've got, yeah? But that we hear through faith, not fear. 
So he then says, if you don't live for me, you're not worthy either. It's a double hit. It's like bang, 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 bang. And so we're back to this man who's not worthy because he doesn't have garments on. So where have we looked in the scriptures in relation to this? Where you can take ready and works. Because that's what that is, yeah? Do you love? Are you living with me and for me? What's the scriptures we've unpacked over four or five weeks? Uh, yep, that's part of it. But where in one verse or two verses, you've got it. He's, he's saying it. He's literally telling you something in the context of what we're all talking about. Good man. Where's that, Danny? Do you know? <laughs> so Revelation 19, 7 to 9, says the bride has made herself ready. She's fallen in love with her groom. She did not love other people or other possessions more than him. And because she fell in love with her groom while on earth, she did righteous acts. So she did the works of God that have been centered and inspired and empowered and led by God while she lived on earth. So she's fulfilled that scripture. She's ready and she's about to receive her fine linen acts of righteousness, the right acts of the saints, because she didn't love her life more. She picked up her cross, she followed him, and she understood what that meant from his sake, not her own. Of thinking, remember, do not think, because plenty of people have thought it's about works and this and works of that. But in that very passage, Jesus says, only those who do the will of God enter the kingdom of heaven. So it can't be about works first. can't be about healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, reaching the lost as the thing, because people did that and God said, I don't know who you are, only those who do the will of God enter this place with me. I'm hoping you're joining all these dots because it's like a join the dot, you know, one to two to three to four. And what happens when you finish that diagram? What happens, Petra? You get a beautiful picture. And what do you think the picture might be here? <laughs> That's honest. I haven't figured it out yet. That's cool. The Holy Spirit wants to show you. He shows you himself everything within him, and what you've been called for. Ultimately, the entirety of it. But this guy didn't figure it out. But he's at this wedding feast, so he's got a garment on. Should we go have a look at that? Okay, come with me, Isaiah. Isaiah 61.10. Now I want to reiterate, this is all part of the kingdom message, not Jesus died for your sin message. And this is the difference, see? The challenge is in only being saved from your sin, you cannot be aware of everything that's for you, and you think it's about somebody else when he's talking to you. So Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. 
My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Can you explain that? What it is to be righteous. Robe of righteousness. Yeah, so um, it reminds me of Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Renewed in knowledge according... Um, sorry, renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so uh, the garment of righteousness is, is Christ, the blood of Christ that has redeemed us completely and thoroughly. And with the power of his blood and what the blood has done, it's cleansed us completely and is causing us to become like him, that when he appears, we appear and if I think about the man uh, at the wedding, when he's seen and he's not dressed appropriately, it's that he's not dressed by the redeeming blood of Christ. No, he's 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 washed in the robe of righteousness. Didn't have the works, but he the didn't have works yeah, of, it, of the it, saints. Yeah, so it's the duality thing. Okay, mm. so it's not just enough to actually be washed in blood. There's a working out your salvation. Like, why would Paul write that if it was all done by receiving this robe? He wouldn't need to write it, would he? And this is what I mean when I talk about the kingdom. It's like this kingdom message is it's two part that becomes one. So we're made righteous, as Mel says, by the blood of the lamb. You can't make yourself any more right, but you have this thing called flesh in you, don't you? And does your flesh still live? It's not supposed to, but it does, doesn't it? Because you have your brain that thinks the way it thinks. You have your emotions and you have your will. So they need to get crucified. Otherwise, they will dominate your spirit because the soul realm is the realm that will dominate your spirit. So your flesh, your spirit will be willing, your flesh will be weak. Your flesh will dominate, so you'll actually get stuck. So Paul says you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is the process of sanctification, which changes the inner realm. Now, as the inner realm starts to become Christ-like as well, then your inner realm, out of your inner realm, will come what? What will you want to do? Works for Christ, defined by who? Christ, which will get you this garment of righteous action. Yeah? It's not any works. So as he does this work of transformation, saves your spirit, goes to work on your soul through his power, spiritual mana, received, changes, renews my mind, no longer living for me, my will, not being pulled, tossed to and fro by my feelings, because I'm living from truth, then I'll want to lay my life down. I won't be loving another because I'm changing on the inside. All the idols are coming out and all the Jesus is coming in. 
And there's a transaction inside of me. And then the natural response of that from love is action. Like, why would I do the opposite to the one I love? Why would I obey the one I love? Put it into your human relationships. Because this is a typology of a spiritual relationship with Christ. So if we say we love one another, if I genuinely love Danielle, am I going to have affairs? No, that would be weird, wouldn't it? A weird sort of love. Yeah, I love my wife, but you know what? I want to bring her, 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 and her along for the journey. Are you cool with that, babe? Not really. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) It's one look. You may have seen it. And so it doesn't make, but that's the same with God. And so as I start to fall in love, I want to please him. I want to live. I'm going to pick up my cross. It's a joy. It's an honor. It's like I get invited to, like I'm invited to a wedding. Like what? But see, without revelation, without the true process of spiritual transformation, it's like, nah, man, this is all hard, weird, wacky. What are you talking about? And it becomes a chore, eh, Chris? Like it's all like it's 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 hard. Do you wanna? Yeah. So um, for me, uh, getting adding on to that, it, it reminds me of that. Um, remember that ad? It was a tip top ad, and it's togs, 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 undies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's that this guy's turned up. He's well past the beach. He's not at the beach anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know what? Like just to tie it into what Greg said for me. All of these parables are, are sight issues. So the five wise had sight of something that the five foolish didn't have, which is why they were ready. The the two faithful servants that had the talents had true sight of who the master was versus the one who had a wrong sight and lived accordingly. And so everyone's living for how it is that they see. And this is what this revelation is that Greg's talking about where you see something that causes you to live differently. And and again, this is the same thing. This guy who's turned up to the wedding, it doesn't matter where he's come from because both bad and good have been called. It's not a historical issue. Everything's been taken care of, but he doesn't have sight of what it is that he's invited into. So he's dressed, and Greg said this word last week, inappropriately. Inappropriately. doesn't either have sight of what a wedding is or the magnitude of what it is that he's been invited into. I've got a couple of, a couple of stories on that. One of them is, um, talking about the Togs, Togs, Undies thing. I remember going to the beach as a, as a 10 year old with my family. And, um, uh, well, the kids had Togs, but dad didn't have Togs. And so he just, he just wore his Undies. Well, he's at the beach. He goes, people will just think that they're Speedos. And you know what? He was absolutely right. No one even cared because they were just single colour undies. I mean, as a 10-year-old, I was like, oh my goodness, my dad's wearing undies at the beach. He had, he had sight of where he was and knew exactly what it was, and it was fine. Um, and so the Togs undies thing can work in, in, in either situation. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. It matters whether you have an accurate sight of where it is that you are. 
Um, and, a, and a second story, and I'll, I'll just um, share this, and I've got permission to share it. We were <laughs> we were at a wedding a couple of weeks ago. Always sounds like it's going to be juicy when you say that, eh? Um, so we were at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and I was emceeing it, and um, some of us were there, and we had a guy that was uh, at the wedding in a singlet, you know, which is kind of inappropriate attire for a wedding, you know. No one else was wearing a singlet. It's pretty relaxed, and um, we hadn't been past the formalities yet, so it was kind of like, you know, okay. Um, anyway, the, the bride and groom are about to come in, and so as MC, I said, look, everyone, I was on the microphone, I said, we're, we're going to have... Mr. and Mrs. come in in a moment, and we're all going to stand up and applaud them as they come in. And the guy with the singlet says to me, do we have to? Like, do we have to stand up? And he was kind of being cheeky, but there was actually something there that was made manifest in a moment. And we're talking about clothing, but it's actually, it's a picture of an internal reality. And what we saw was an internal reality turn up. It was demonstrated in his attire, but it, it was hiding something that was underneath. And to me, that comes from a sight issue. What do you see? Are you seeing that it's hard to stand up and, and welcome in the new couple? Is it hard? It's not hard. And I, I had a joke with him and I said, well, everyone's, we're going to be walking right past you, mate, so everyone's going to know that you're not standing up, you know. And at the end of the day, it's not about you. So you can sit down if you want to, you know, because it really wasn't about him. Um, and so, you know, like I say, all of these things are sight issues. And so what I feel like is on offer is something that we can't do for ourselves, but we can come willingly and ask to be made aware of this more than what we are. God, open my eyes to see. You're the the God that gives sight to the blind. You say the seeing eye and the hearing ear, you've made them both. And he's come that blind would see. And he's not just talking about physically blind, although plenty of physically blind people have been made to see. He's called this from darkness to light, that this that sat in great darkness has seen a great light. And that's him. And, And... He's opened our eyes and he's opening our eyes. And that's this, you know, uh, justification, sanctification thing. It's, there's a process in this and there's more than what all of us are in. And so, you know, when I, when I read this, I'm like, Lord, help me to see this for what it is so that I live accordingly. Because that's what true sight does. If you've truly seen it, you will live from it. You're not trying to anymore. It becomes this reality. And, the, and and his hope is that the word becomes flesh in us, that this reality that's being spoken doesn't remain a good idea because good ideas aren't going to be enough to create this change. It has to be something that we receive that he's given and it's it's going out and we receive it to the degree that his word becomes flesh. It becomes manifest in my life, just like it did for him. And Chris, I just want to follow up with that because... That's one thing, and I just think with your wedding story, even <laughs> about the guy like not wanting to stand up to welcome the writing group, and the, the one thing that I keep seeing within these parables, and um, and almost maybe also one of the tests is the hospitality test. You know, hos- the hospitality in the sense of, and not hospitality like we know where you entertain guests with, yeah, cups of tea, but it's it's. Um, 
welcoming the word in your home or in your heart. And um, if we look at the virgins of the parables, it says that they trimmed their lamps, you know, and the word trimmed means to furnish or it means to, um, it comes from the word cosmos, which where cosmetics comes from, you know, the thing women put on, makeup, or men. Um, and <laughs> what, but what, the point is, is that it's, you know, if you have an empty room or you move into an empty house, what do we do? We furnish it, right? We use the space and we make, and we, we make a house into a home and we make room for it, right? And so one of the verses in Matthew 10, it says, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And in this context, it's like, well, what is worthy? How would you inquire who's worthy? And it wasn't about if those homes had lots of money or if they were well-to-do or had good reputations. It was never about that. It was, were these people hospitable to these strangers with the message, the gospel message? Um, so the virgins, again, it's, it, it was like they were ready. They received the word and they made themselves ready. Um, and then looking at this parable, we see in verse 5 it says, but when they heard the invite, after the oxen and the fatted, the fatted cattle are killed and all things were ready, so we can hear the hospitality, right? There's a feast being prepared, everything's being made ready, and yet it was taken lightly, it says in verse 5, but they made light of it and went their own ways. In Hebrews it talks about, you know, the forerunners and what they saw ahead, they welcomed it. You know, so there's something to do that I really see is the hospitality of the heart for the word to enter in, as you were saying, Chris, uh, for that word to be made manifest. There has to be a, an opening and a welcoming and an accommodating of the word. And I think hospitality of the heart is part of, um, what it means to be worthy, a worthy recipient. Because the other thing is the worthy also means wait. Right, so if we take, if we think the word of Christ has weight in our lives, if we think that Christ is the worthy Lamb that we we, um, you know, sing Him to be, then every word He has to say, we're going to make room in our hearts and accommodate that word within us. Does that make sense? Um, where if we if we treat it lightly, what He's saying, if we treat the invitation lightly. What we're saying is we don't think it's actually of any worth. It's actually not of any weight that it makes any difference to me. Mm. So I hope we're hearing this is for us. This is our inheritance. So the invitation is for us, yeah? So it's like if, if you knew the inheritance was coming your way and it was $50 million, like it's for you. How are you going to respond to that? So this is not to be heard and go, oh my goodness, and go down a negative path. This is to be heard like, are you telling me this is my inheritance as a follower, as a son? Yes. If we're hearing it the other way, you're not hearing it. You're hearing it through your natural flesh that Jesus wants to come and divide. Okay? So this is like amazing. And I want to read what these guys are saying because Jesus said this to his disciples. This is in Matthew 13, 10. 
And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered to them, now listen, to you it has been granted to know. This is what I have for you. As your, as your father, meaning God, this is what I have for you children. You've been granted to know. Know what? The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So this is for you. This, this, this is actually, you know, this is why I saved you. This is the whole purpose why I gave you life, is you would know me, know my plans, know my, and know you're fit. So you'd been granted, you've been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them, it hasn't been granted. Who's them? The Jews. A specific number of Jews. And we're going to get to that. For whoever has, listen to this, to him more shall be given. What does that mean? For whoever lays hold of their inheritance, I'm going to give you more. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has should be taken away from him. Now we're talking about an inner spiritual reservoir of life. We're not talking about big houses. We're talking about having an all-encompassing, abundant, overflowing life in Christ in you. Therefore, I speak to them, the Jews, but not all Jews, because we know some Jews got saved, didn't they? Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, this is, they don't see. While seeing, they don't see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So it goes out, but it's not actually being heard or saw received in the Spirit because they rejected Christ, the one of the Spirit. But this isn't for you guys, so I'm separating the two out here. Is what Jesus is saying. In their case, the prophecy Isaiah is being fulfilled. So Isaiah spoke thousands of years before the reality of what Jesus is quoting. Jesus isn't pulling stuff out of the air. He's speaking the words of Isaiah. So what did Isaiah say? You will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would, with their eyes, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their minds, know their hearts, and return. And I would heal them. But they don't. They're going to kill me. See, this was Saul before he got enlightened by the Holy Spirit, yeah? But he was always going to be Paul. Then he turns to his disciples, he says this, but blessed are your eyes for they see. Because they see in your ears because they hear. For many, truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see, they desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Meaning the Christ is on earth speaking his father's truth, hoping that eyes are going to see, ears are going to hear, hearts are going to understand, and then enter into the fullness of what is for you as a child of God. Now he says, blessed are your eyes for they see and ears for your, they can hear. And in the next breath he's saying, guys, do you still not hear and see and understand? Are your hearts still hardened? So a hardened heart can't hear anything spiritually, it can't see anything spiritually, because it's hard. And yet it's for it. And so what do you do? You blow your inheritance. You don't even know there was an inheritance on offer. You're saved by blood, which is awesome, but you're not worthy. 
you're not ready, you're not faithful, because you have no concept of what you're actually being called for. You just think it was to get your butt out of hell. And as good as that is, like I'd rather be that than lost, yeah? But he's saying, my church, your eyes are supposed to see and your ears are supposed to hear because let's give these guys some credit. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. And so they couldn't really hear, see, and understand because you need the Spirit. But we're 2,000 years beyond that. And so we are called to see and hear. Now I want to just transition just very quickly to the book of Revelation because of Revelation 3, which is the message to the church of Sardis. Okay, Who's Jesus writing to? The church. Like if you wrote your letter, what would it say? Dear Greg. <laughs> the other thing about that appropriate clothing, you never want to go to a football game wearing a Liverpool shirt down the Man United end, and you'd never want to wear a Man United shirt down the Liverpool end. Probably wouldn't come out of life. Wouldn't be a bad day, it'd be a dead day. To the angel of the church in Sardis right. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. So this is Jesus saying this. I know your deeds. Put this, personalize this for you. God saying, I know your deeds. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Uh, that's like the guy with the clothes right about now, isn't it? Like, how what? Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. Righteous acts of the saints are completed in the sight of God. Any works are not. So works that don't come from faith are not righteous works, correct? Because only works that come from faith are righteous works, because God has ordained them. So these guys were running around doing a whole lot of stuff, very busy for God. Are you busy for God? Like has God asked you to be busy for him? Or do you not know any different and so you're getting your identity and your sense of purpose and meaning from doing works for God but he's not asking for them? Which means they're not righteous acts. They're fleshly acts. So he goes, your deeds are dead in my sight. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, you do not wake up. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come. Now, here's the good news. okay? But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are. Worthy, haven't soiled, haven't got in these works and flesh stuff and living for self. They actually have gone through the true process of justification, sanctification, and they're actually demonstrating a reality that other people in the church aren't because it's the church, isn't it? We're talking to the church. There are people in the church that haven't soiled their garments. Everyone else is. 
And then, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear. Sorry, verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And that's what we're going to look at next. We're going to start unpacking what does it mean to overcome? And overcome what? And how do you overcome? Because you don't want to be overcome, you want to overcome. Correct? Like you don't want your flesh to overcome you, do you? What happens if your flesh overcomes you? You get out of control. But what aren't you going to receive? Your garments. You see, if you're overcome by the world, the demonic, and your flesh, then how can you receive the overcomer's inheritance? So we have an opportunity to learn, grow, be transformed, and be the ones whose garments weren't soiled. Like, is that? I'm like... That's the invitation. I get to partake. I get to enter into the fullness. You mean I get to? Yeah, you do get to some. And nothing's stopping me, not even my sin. No, I dealt with that. So how does this work? Okay, let me share with you how this unpacks through the Spirit. It is the greatest invitation known to mankind, but if we don't value, know it, we're like, eh, eh. Whatever. So our choices. You do. And it's everything Chris is saying. So your eyes spiritually have to be opened. Otherwise, if you can't see, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in the knowledge of God and the inheritance in the saints. Ephesians one seventeen, the whole letter. It came out of my mouth. <laughs> I pray the eyes of your heart. Colossians, go have a look at that. I want to come. It's all in front of you. But the Holy Spirit is required to open it up to you and in you. And this is the challenge. So, like, I, I don't know if I share this with the elders or whoever, but I'm astounded that we have the opportunity here. Like I am blown away that God even cares enough to actually present this for us. You know, it's like he could have just said, ah, whatever. But he doesn't. He's here. He wants, he actually wants this for you. And I want it. Like, I want it. I know these guys want it. It's like, man, really? This is like my inherit, yeah. Like I just dream. What would it look like? Like if you struggle with emotions, what would it look like to be free of your emotions? What would it look like not to? If you have issues, if you have mental health issues, what would it look like to not have mental health issues? This is what the Father wants to do. He wants to set the captive free. But this guy, he wasn't worthy. He didn't know. He didn't take the time. And so he ends up in a place of outer darkness, which is not hell. And if you want information about that, let me know, and I can send you a whole lot of information about that. Because where are they at? 
They're at a wedding feast. Where are they? So what's he being removed from? It's a mighty way to fall from that to hell, isn't it? With a garment of righteousness on. That means the garment of righteousness didn't stack up. Which means we're all then in trouble, aren't we? Because then it's about our behavior. Like, what's the mark I have to hit? Because the blood didn't cut it. So I've got to perform. Isn't that called religion? Isn't that what we want to be saved from? Isn't it about the blood of the lamb and the power of the blood of the lamb that saves somebody? And you can't take that off me, can you? Because that means I lose what he's done. And what he didn't do, he didn't really do then, if it can be lost. Then my whole faith is a waste of time. So it's not there. But because we read words like out of darkness, because we think, we automatically go somewhere else. And we join dots that aren't to be joined. Because the Spirit must be our teacher. So even what I've just said, go to the teacher. Don't go online. Don't look at all the other ministries of man. Go to him. Don't even go to me. Go to him. Because he is the teacher of the church, correct? He's the only one that has true knowledge, correct? You can. So um, just while Greg was reading before from Matthew 13, he says, um, The disciples came to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So they receive a promise, right? And then later on he says, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear, because many prophets and righteous men desired to look into this. But then guess what the, what the disciples do later on in the same chapter? Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tears of the field. So they've been given a promise, and that promise hasn't been realized. They come to him again. And I just hear throughout all of this, I'm hearing, come to me, come to me. That's what he's saying. That's what he's been saying all morning, come to me. There's never a time that you shouldn't be. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. Now, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out. Straight to Jesus. You've told us that we're going to understand these things, but this isn't our reality right now. So explain it to us. And what does he do? He explains it to them because he's a good teacher, you know. And so the the, the simplest way to, to explain it is the way that it's just been demonstrated right there. They knew what they had to do based on what it was that they didn't have. What is this? You've told us twice that we're, our eyes are blessed because we see. But we don't see. Oh, here it is. Let me let me open your eyes. And that's what he does. Just finish with this one statement. There's a difference between entering and inheriting. We need both. Inherit everything that's for you in Christ. Then the church will be the church that God says it's called to be. We will become the church that he says we're called to be. That is a church that will glorify the Father, the presence in us and through us would just sit. And you would, we would see incredible things, man, I'm telling you. We'd see radical healings, we'd see radical life, we'd see radical transformation, we'd see radical inner healing, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff. 
We'd see people slain in the spirit because where the presence is, God is drawn to his presence. You draw near to me, I draw near to you. When he sees himself and his people, he's drawn like a moth to light. Work out your salvation with me. Allow the process of transformation. Imagine the praise, guys. We're going to put full stop on it there.